This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Tonight. There you go. Shkayach. Fushalema. Fortune Mazal. Fortune Mazal. By Clara Allegra. By Clara Allegra. Can I borrow your hat? No, I'm just a davening. Okay. Where's the color? Shani Sarah. Shani Shani. Sarah Esther. Okay. Why of Yaakov? Okay. All right. So the subject tonight is what's meant. What does the word ahava mean? What does the word love mean? So. I spoke tonight in a school before I got here, and the subject matter was love is to sacrifice. What does that mean? So, so I, I have I have now sometimes this word. You say the word love. I'm going to be walking, so you better move the camera around a little bit. Um, I got to stay up. So you say the word love, and you know that's a very like not sneeze a word. But I don't know where that comes from because just in the tefillah alone, we say, Hashem chose us with love. Right? In all our, in all our prayers, in all our davening, right, we use this word, which means love. What does that mean? What does it mean? He chose us with love. Hashem has love. Hashem has love. Hashem has emotions. And what does it mean that we should love Hashem? What does that mean to you? If I ask you, what does that mean? What does the word love mean? The word love is so abused. You know, I love chocolate. I love the Yankees. Not me personally. But I love the Yankees. I love chocolate. I love my mother. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my new car. I love my new suit. You can't tell me that I love my new suit the way I love my wife or my children. And you can't say I love chocolate the way I love Hashem. So does love have many different meanings? Boss made love. What does Ahava mean? What is the real meaning of Ahava? So tonight, I think we're going to discuss, we're going to talk, we're going to explain what does love mean. So, so when I do this in school, and I ask the high school girls or, or seminary girls or, or high school boys, what, and if I asked you guys tonight, and we went around the room and I said, translate for me, what does the word love mean? No, anyone have any ideas? Yeah, yes. What do you think? It means doing something unconditionally and not respect, like expecting anything in return. So unconditional, unconditional giving. Right. Can you have a relationship with anyone with un- just unconditional giving? No, no. I don't think they exist. No. Can you have a relationship if you are, if you're an unconditional giver? Is that a relationship? No, but you could give without expectations. Uh, I agree with you, but to have a relation, relationship means two people, two, two people, right? So if I continuously give, 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 now, a good a relationship doesn't mean a give and take. That's the worst thing I ever heard. Many guys, you ask them, "No, what's a good marriage?" And they're like, "Give and take." Wrong. For instance, right? Let's say, give me a snapple, please, for a minute. The snapple is mine. Oh, it's cold. I'm thirsty. Okay. Anyway, um, so this is my snapple. And us two are buddies, me and you, right? We're buddies. So, I give you this snapple. Now, if you say the relationship is give and take, that means that I gave him the snapple, right? Now, I take the snapple. That's not a relationship. A relationship is give and give. Both people give. There's no take. So, I give him the snapple, 
And he, in turn, not because I gave him the Snapple, but he, in turn, gives me a Snapple. That's a good relationship. But the word give and take, the word take, take breaks a relationship. If I go to you, and is that diet? Okay, shkoyach. If I go to you and I take something from you, that's not a relationship. That's a ganaf. If I take something from you. It's about opening up. It's about knowing that both people are open and open to everything, so no matter what it is, whether it's comfortable or not. Right. And you give whether it's easy or not. So that if I go to my if I go to my therapist and we open up to each other, it means I love my therapist. I'm sorry. Let's say I go to a therapist. No, no, it's not about opening up and having a problem. It's whether you're having a problem, whether it's the good or the bad or whatever it's wrong with me. So you can't love somebody unless you tell them all your secrets and everything about yourself. No, so what does that what does that mean to open up? Instead of just giving and giving, you're supposed to give and watch out what you give to. Because it may not be good for the person. Don't give them too much. Don't OD them on your love. All the answers are all the answers are are all the answers that you're giving are a little correct. All the answers. So then you're giving it. Then you're giving it. Yeah. Then the guy's giving. But if you're telling me you want me to take that pen, yeah. you're giving me the pen. Right. But I want you to take it. So you're taking it, but I, it's because. So, you love but but you're gi- but you but you're really giving it. It's not really a take. You're giving it. You're giving it. You're saying, I want you, I want you to take it, but you're giving that to me to take. That's different than me coming and taking that pen from you. So, so that's really give, give. You're giving it to me. You're saying, I'm giving it to you. Please, I'm giving you something. Please make it yours. But you're giving it to me. I'm not taking it from you. I'm not walking over and taking you. So a lot of people are like, it's a give and take. No, a real relationship is a give and a give. Now, Ray Watson came in tonight to teach you about love. No. So the Goyim, the Goyim have this crazy, Masters, you know, the biggest love of all is, uh, they teach you the Meshuggah of Shakespeare, right? Romeo and Juliet. Oh, you read Romeo and Juliet. Oh, my Romeo, oh, my Juliet, right? They got some mice over there. What happens in the end of this beautiful relationship? They die together in each other's arms. And the Goyim think, the ultimate love, the ultimate relationship is to die in each other's arms. Meshuggahim. Why didn't, if I would have written Romeo and Juliet, Right, not Shakespeare, that mushchis, right? Anti-Semite in the taming of the shrew. He said the cheap Jew. There was an anti-Semite, not Shakespeare, in case you didn't know that. Right, I'm sure gonna, he wrote about three witches and a pot. He wrote about a guy who stabbed his best friend in the back, Brutus and Caesar. Whatever he wrote was t- total tragedy. Romeo and Juliet, right? Total tragedy. So I don't know if I would have written it as a kid. When I read it, I was like, this guy doesn't love her. If she killed herself and then he kills himself to be with her, that's not love. What he should have done is, he should have said to her, listen, you look very depressed, let's go for pizza. You know, let, let's go, let's go listen to some music. By them, by them, dying together is the ultimate love. Not by us. By us living together. Dying together, like we said last week, takes, it takes a moment to die together. It takes a lifetime to live together. It takes a moment to die for God. The Arabs blow themselves up in the name of Allah, right? Then they blow themselves up, Al-Akbar, and then boom, right? That takes, that takes a moment. We have to say Moda'ani every morning, Ashayatza, Paranthilin, Davin, Paranthitsis, eat kosher, keep Shabbos. A lifetime. That's the way you serve. That's, that, that's true relationship. That's true love. Not dying for somebody. 
That just takes a moment and you're out of here. So, why am I telling you this? Because my translation of love is totally different. My wife gets very upset when I do this, when I say this. My translation of love is sacrifice. Sacrifice is cold. Sacrifice sounds like, oh my gosh, that's, imagine, um, you know, your wife walks into the room and you're like, darling, I sacrifice myself to you. It's like, what drug is he on? Like, what's up with him? I love you. You're special. But Radwalski said, came home from the Shia, right? Radwalski said, the ultimate love, right? The sacrifice. So he wants to know tonight you're going to go home to find out if your wife really loves you. You're going to go, Chani, can I ask you a question? It's 1230. What? Would you sacrifice yourself for me? Well, I look like a carbon. Well, I look like a carbon. So, by the way, by the way, that's why you say when you get married, Harry Abacodeciously, you're telling her you're going to be a carbon. Okay, anyway, that's a joke. It's not serious. That's a joke. Now that you're all up. So, so, all right, we won't get into that. Um, so the ultimate love is sacrifice. Did you read that in a book, Rabbi Wallstein? Where'd you get that from? Pashas Vayero! Akedas Yitzchak! The final test! To see if Avraham Avinu loved Hashem. What did Hashem say? Bring me roses. No. Hashem said, to prove that you actually love me unconditionally, you must sacrifice Yitzchak. So we, and after that, Nisayon, the last of his Nisayonis, Hashem said, now I see you truly love me. There's no other Nisayon that I need to do. So we see from the Torah, it's not Rabbi Wallerstein's translation, we see from the Torah that the ultimate expression of love was a sacrifice that Avraham Avinu was willing to do, which was to sacrifice everything in his world, which was his son Yitzchak. He was willing to do that for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that showed HaKadosh Baruch Hu his ultimate love. How does one get to that point? So, Baruch HaTah, Amen. We do a lot of screaming tonight, so hang on. You got a lot of energy. Believe in her. Okay. So, somebody aggravated me tonight, so I got a lot of energy. So, how does one get to that point? So, I, you know, the night before a guy gets married, I offer this for free to anybody. The night before a guy gets married, so I sit with them for a few hours, and we learn a little bit Hilchas in, in Mishabrua, and we talk about being married to a woman. You know, it's uh, not so simple to be married to a woman. At least I try most guys to do that. Some guys I miss, whatever, I can't do it. But I try to coach my Talmidim. And you need a lot of coaching. You're a guy. What do you know from, you know, guys that are from Mars and girls that are from Venus? No, guys are from a different galaxy. We don't understand them at all. They don't understand us. We don't understand them. Because Baruch puts the two of us together from under a Veltz, right? We're coming from a dormitory in Yeshiva where we leave our stuff on the floor at least for two to three months, then we pick it up, maybe, if someone, you know, and, and they're like, I can't believe you left your socks on the floor, you know, and you're like, calm down, you know, I have my socks on the floor the whole year. All I do is I don't clean them, I just turn them inside, and then after two weeks I turn them the other way, you know, like, you know, and she's like, ugh, I'm married to this thing? Like, oh my goodness, you know, this monster. We don't understand it, they don't understand us. So how do you make a marriage work? How does a person make a marriage work? So first you have to tell guys, you know, number one, if, woman, if, you, if you're married and your wife asks you how she looks in a dress, right, never say you don't look good. Only stupid people answer, does it. what do you mean I don't look good? What does that mean? So you never say you don't look good. On the other hand, if you say you look good, 
She's like, oh, you're just saying that because you don't care. So you can't win. These are, we're very different than they are. Right? You ask the guy in the dorm room, does my tie look good? He tells you, it looks good, it doesn't look good. But then they tell you, it looks, you tell him it looks good? No good. You tell him it's no good? No good. You can't win. So I have to coach my tummy and I'm like, never tell them they don't look good. You have to tell them, this dress, but last week's dress that you wore to the wedding, that was amazing. So she understands what you're saying, but you're not saying it. And you're giving her a compliment at the same time. Very ridiculous. So you have to know how to talk to them. You have to know how to talk, right? But they're very, it's a little bit hard to understand. How do you, so how do you make this relationship work, right? How do you make this relationship work? You never loved anybody in your life besides yourself until the day you get married, right? Your parents, they take, they give me a card, give me a this, give me that, give me a credit card, right? Or, 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 you don't get, you don't give your parents anything except aggravation. All of a sudden they're asking you to go under a chuppah with this thing called a woman, right? And they're telling you, you have to give. And the word give, you don't even know how to say it. Like, give? A guy should give? We just take. We don't give. What do we give? Until we get married, what do we give? We give agita. We don't give anything else. We take. We take from yeshiva. We take from our friends. We take from our parents. We take and we take. All of a sudden, you're married. Shine. There's a person there you don't understand. You don't understand them. They're crying. They're not crying. Guys in my room never cried in the dorm. She's crying. She's not crying. My mother, your mother, my mother-in-law, her mother. Like, oh my goodness, what did I get into? Rebbe, you didn't warn me about this. What's going on over here, right? So how do you make it work? How do you make it work? So I was just saying, like, shopping, right? That's number one, shopping. I don't know how many guys in this room are married, but shopping, right? Us guys, what does it take to go shopping? You walk into the store, right? You try on a suit, 44 regular. You put it on, right? Boom, it looks good. The guy, the tailor, he knows what to do. The Swedish tailor, you know, they go like this. Like, oh, perfect, you know? Like, stop shaking my shoulders, guy. Like, perfect. They pull it up, they pull it in, you hold your breath, it fits, you know? Okay. I'll take a blue, a black, a gray, and a brown. Four suits. Five minutes. You have four suits. Okay. This tie, that tie, this tie, that tie. Give me four shirts, two with buttons, two with uh, cufflings. I'll take four pairs of socks that match it. Oh, you have shoes also? You have a 10D, size 10D. Oh, those are very nice with a buckle. Okay. Finito. Four suits, four shirts, four ties, four pairs of socks, a pair of shoes. 25 minutes. The only thing we have problems with is the Borsalino hat store. I don't understand. It takes guys four and a half hours. They walk up, they walk down, they look in the mirror, they try it on, they ask every guy in the store, how do I look? How do I look? How do I look? How do I look? That was with hats. With black hats, we have a problem. Me too. It's like this way, that way, seven and eight, seven, big brim, three inch, three and a half inch. Suits and clothing, we don't have a problem. So it takes, the whole thing is 25 minutes. Four suits, right? Now, I don't want to scare anybody. And they were on the floor tonight because I was so right when I was speaking to girls' school. You know, so your wife tells you on a Sunday afternoon when there's a good football game, Shalom Aleichem! Nice to have you back. All right. Baruch Mechaim Mason. Anyway, Shechianu. And Allah good to brachas. Anyway, so here you are, it's a Sunday, and there's a good ball game, or you're supposed to go play ball with your friends, or Sunday, I worked so hard a whole week, Sunday's my day, not anyone else's, not my kids, not my wife, it's my day, okay, won't call it Sunday anymore, we'll call it my day, right, so she says, you know, I have a wedding this week, and then we have Sheva Brothers. Maybe we can go shopping. Shopping is a very scary word for a guy. <laughs> right? Shopping. But he's like a good guy. So, tell me if I'm wrong, guys that are married right now. We all make the same mistake. Now that we're going to be, sacrifice ourselves for our wives, 
the worst thing you can do, boys, is to tell them that you are sacrificing. Well, you know I hate shopping, but for you, <laughs> I'll go. And they all answer the same thing. A favor? I don't need no favors. <laughs> am I right? Oh, am I right? I don't need no favors. Once you do something, and I'll explain to you what, what, I'm, what I'm saying. This is not, I'm not here to make jokes tonight. It's all, it's my, it's my share. You'll see how it's all going to come together. Okay, so I'm doing you a favor. You're right. I'm supposed to go play football and basketball with my friends. I'm supposed to watch the Yankees. I'm supposed to watch the Giants. And I'm going to Bloomingdale's. Yes, it's a favor. But I want to do you a favor. Nobody wants favors. Why? Because when you're doing somebody a favor, right, you're doing it for them. And you're suffering for them. I don't want you to suffer for me. I make my wife believe I her. I should make it for 120 years. I make her coffee in the morning. If she has to ask me for she won't ask me for coffee. Why not? Why not? The question, because when she asks me for it, then I'm doing her a favor. Then I'm, then I'm, then I'm a, a, a waiter in the restaurant that she asked for a coffee. That's not a relationship. You ask the waiter every time for a coffee. A relationship with a husband is that he brings the coffee without her asking, because then it's not a favor. We don't want favors. Especially girl, women, they don't want favors. Don't do me a favor. So, you gotta, you gotta keep your mouth quiet, and you gotta say, shopping? Yay! Let's go shopping! You say, I hate shopping, but I'll go for you. So you think you're the macho guy. I'm going for you. It's the worst thing you could say. You're going for me? You'll understand in a minute why this is part of my share. Okay. So now you come to, uh, come to Bloomingdale's. Only the guys that are married understand this. Or guys who have sisters, maybe. You come to Bloomingdale's. So Baruch Hashem, they got smart in Bloomingdale's. Because us guys, we don't have patience to wait five hours till they find the dress they want. So they put couches. Right, because in the old days there was no couches. So how long can a guy stand and wait? Right, twenty minutes. You can't text anymore. You finish right. So after twenty minutes, you're like, "No, rachala, let's go. We gotta go home. It's crazy." So what did they do? Bloomingdale's put couches. So now when you walk by the fitting room where the, where the women try on the clothing, you see six guys sprawled out. <laughs> like for four hours, they get more sleep on that couch, right? Then they get a whole night. Okay. Anyway, so I'm giving you a shift for the guys who aren't married yet, also. So now. If you know anything about women shopping, right? So it's called the hanger move. The hanger move is like this. They go up to the thing, there's like 500 hangers, and they go like this. And then when they finish all 40 dresses on that one rack, right? For some reason, they go, they have to send them back to the other side. You're standing there like, you didn't buy anything. You didn't take anything. I'm just looking. I'm just looking. You're like, looking? We don't do that. Guys don't look. One suit, two suits. You ask the guy, we wear my sizes? Boom, boom, right? I'm just looking. So you're sitting there like, okay. Then they go shopping. It takes five hours. From this department to that department. Finally, but Baruch Hashem, you, you want to make your wife happy. So you're hoping she's going to buy something, right? So she comes back with 15 dresses. 15 outfits. She's going to go try them on in the fitting room. You're saying to yourself, I wanted to buy something, but I don't want to take out a mortgage. <laughs> 15 dresses. Oy vey. Right? But okay. Baruch Hashem. She says, listen, Chaim, I want to try it on. I want you to stay here. You can't go downstairs to get here or to go shopping for yourself. You have to stay here. I want you to see how I look in the dresses so you never have to stand there. Right? And of course, you have to shmir senayim, so you have to make sure you don't look at anybody else. It's a gansamaisa. So you're standing there. You're waiting. You're waiting. Sales lady's going back and forth, changing the sizes back and forth. You're waiting. She doesn't come out with anything. Finally, after... 45 minutes in the dressing room. I don't know what they're doing in the dressing room. 
Maybe they're watching the news. I don't know what they have in the dressing room. Right? <laughs> Finally, after 45 minutes, they come walking out. And she's got three dresses in her hand. Okay. It worked out. I don't got to get the mortgage. And now it's only three dresses. But Hashem, we're going to go home. She's going to be happy. And then next Sunday is going to be my day because we're always figuring it's a deal. That's why Jewish men are the best deal makers because we're married. So everything's a deal. If I let you do this, then you got to let me do that. If I let you do this and that, then you got to let me do this and that. So when we go to work, we, we, got, we can do deals all the time because that's what we do at home. A whole, a whole life is just deals, right? Anyway, so she's got these three dresses. Now they think they're brilliant. They're stupid. Bloomingdale's. What do they do? They put the cash register far away from the fitting room, thinking that when the woman is going to the cash register with her clothing, she's going to see other stuff and start taking other stuff. And by the time she gets to the cash register, for stage is going to be much more. But no, it doesn't work that way. The stuff that they decide that they're going to take, by the time they're the cash register, they don't take anything. Now she has these three dresses, and all of a sudden they do this. You guys who are not married don't know what I'm talking about. They do this to one of the dresses. Chaim, when am I going to wear this? <laughs> I told you to buy this. I told you to wear this. Like, what, what are you asking me? Like, hello? Well, I don't have any, anything to wear this for. Oh, you have to go. You can't say, like, I'm a sugar if you didn't have anything to wear. <laughs> why'd you buy it? Like, why'd you even take it out? Why are you trying it on? Hello, if I live in Florida, I'm not buying skis. Like, you know. Okay, we don't understand, right? So she hangs that up. Now there's only two things left. You're like, okay, we're going to take these two things to the register. We're going to buy them. I'm a good guy. We're going to go home. And next Sunday is my day, right? All of a sudden, now she's got two items. She takes one of them. She says, you know what? It's too expensive. I think I should wait till it goes on sale. <laughs> one left. You spent five and a half hours in the store. And she's down to one dress. Five. Yeah, yeah, Jay. Get ready for it, baby. You want to get married? Yeah, yeah. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. Right? So now, so now, forget about when you have kids and they're doing all this times five for each kid. They have to buy all that, right? Okay. Baruch Hashem. It's all good. Anyway, so now she has this one dress. She looks at it and she goes, you know, for one dress to start the whole thing, I could probably get it cheaper in Nordstrom. Five and a half hours. <laughs> Nothing. In 25 minutes, I bought four suits. Nothing. Not saying anything. Now you got a problem. Because while she was in the dressing room, you snuck downstairs because you heard there's a sale on ties. And you found a Brioni for like $65 that you really loved and a pair of shoes. Now you got to tell her that when she bought nothing, that you want to really buy. So you're like, Hanala, there's a tie. I, I just, you know, a couple of moments I just ran downstairs, just uh, had to go to the bathroom on the way up. I saw a Brioni tie, you know. And, and, it's really nice. I, I'd like to buy it. Who went shopping today? Me or you? Who did we go for? Oh, I don't want this tie. This is ugly. I just thought maybe you liked it. So I'm scaring everyone from getting married. No. I'm going to tell you. So how do you, how do you make, how do you make this work times 10? How do you make this work? How does a person make this work? So now, no, 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 it has a lot to do with tonight's cheer. Okay, now we made fun of all the girls. Very funny, right? Very funny. Let's make fun of the boys a little bit. So a girl two weeks ago on her sixth date, I don't know what this guy was thinking, he took her to a hockey game. Should have asked me first. 
Now, this guy is a very nice, quiet boy. And she's looking for yeshivisha, quiet, edela boy. So she comes, no, 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 no. She comes back to me, I have to talk to you about I'm like, what happened? She goes, I don't know if I want to go out with him anymore. I'm like, what happened? He took me to a hockey game. I said, okay, was he drinking beer? She goes, no. I said, was he cursing and yelling, you blanks? She goes, no. I said, so what's the problem? She says, Rabbi, anybody who could smile and enjoy men with sticks shooting black things at each other and, and smacking their heads into the glass, I don't want that to be the father of my children. He loves violence. He's probably violent. I'm like, I'm like, you love shopping. We love hockey. Doesn't mean we're violent. It's something that we enjoy. You don't understand it. Of course you don't understand it. I'll tell you a story that just interesting story. There's this girl. I deal with all this stuff. There was this girl who, um, so her friend was sick or something. So she asked her husband to say to him. She asked her husband, this was years ago this, this story came. She asked her husband to say to him for a friend. So he said, listen, I'm busy, I'm going, Yeshiva, da, 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 da. to heal him, you know, you, to heal him, to heal him, Zuggers, you know, is, you know, women, you go say to heal him, and I'll show the beautiful Shalema, Bracha, Atzlach, and Alagadamaisis, right? So she said, okay, men don't say to, you know, she, okay. The Super Bowl, I don't remember when it was, it was the Super Bowl, whatever. New York was in it, or a playoff game, New York was in it, there were three seconds left in the game, and the Giants or the Jets had, to kick a field goal, and they were down by two. So the field goal would win the game, or if they missed, they would lose the game. She's in, she's in the kitchen, all of a sudden she hears her husband, all the guys are stretched out all over, he had this big screen TV, all stretched out with beers, he goes, okay, everyone, put away your beers! Here's the Tehillim, everybody, say a capital Tehillim that the kick should go through! She's like, the women are Tehillim, my husband is saying Tehillim, that the Giants should win the game? <laughs> That's sick. No, it's not sick. No. It's a guy. It's a giant game. What are you talking about? I was in Yankee Stadium the second game, right? And uh, there was men on second and third in the eighth inning before the double play, whatever it was all right. Whatever. There were guys sitting, Jewish guys sitting, saying, We need a double play. They were dominating. Because how can a woman understand that we enjoy sports? So, so, so when a woman goes to a hockey game with her husband, should she tell him, I want you to know something. I'm only going to this game. I hate hockey. I hate watching men smash each other into the, into the, into the, my father was a nice, quiet man. He would never do something like this. And to go pay money to watch it and listen to everyone screaming. But I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to go to the game. The guy like, then don't come with me. I'd rather take my friends. If she says, if it makes you happy to go to a hockey game, I want to be there when you're happy. If the guy says, if it makes you happy to go shopping in Bloomingdale, and it's six hours, and you didn't buy anything, but you come home and you're happy, then I'm happy. Now, how do you do that? How does a person do that? So the answer is, and that's tonight's share, that if you love somebody, the first thing you need to do with sacrifice is yourself. You have to get yourself out of the way. When you say, I... If that's the first word that you say, then that's not a relationship. So, you don't tell your wife or your children, I don't like how you look. That means how I look is about you. 
how I look is about me, not about you. So you should say that dress doesn't do you justice. It's not about me. It doesn't do you justice. It's about you. It's about your dress. Now, I don't like that dress. I don't like your hair. I don't like how you look tonight. It's You could look a lot better than that. It's not doing you justice. That, yeah, that person, that relationship is a whole different relationship. When a kid comes home, right, and they get a 50 on their test, and the parents are standing there, and they're like, Yanko, you know what you're doing to us? You know what you're doing to me? You know what you're doing to your whole family? That, you, that you're hanging out? That you're doing drugs? That you're with your friends? That you're Mechal Shabbos? You know what the Chilo Shabbos is doing to us? I can't sleep. Your father can't sleep. Your brothers are not going to get Shaduchim. You know what you're doing to the family name? So it's about you. The whole reason I'm being Mechal Shabbos and I'm drinking and I'm doing everything wrong is to get attention to me that there's something bothering me. What are you doing with what I'm doing? It bothers what I'm doing to you. So what I gained? My whole attention went nowhere. Instead of the parents saying, my goodness, you're smoking on Shabbos. Do you know what it's doing to you? The reaction is, Jude, you're doing it to us. You do it to your mother and your father. And of course, when a kid comes over to 50, do you know how hard we work to pay your tuition? You think that's what he wants to hear when he gets to 50? How hard you work to pay his tuition? And on top of that, your father took a second job so that we could get a tutor? The kid comes with a 50 and all he hears from his parents is about them. Nothing about him. You got a 50 shameful, what's wrong? You didn't have a chance to study? You were tired? Let's look at the 50, you got, the 50 points that you got right. Let's focus on that. If we can figure out how you got that right, maybe we can figure out the other 50. So then it's about him. Then it's about the kid. But when you say, you, you know what kind of headache you're giving me? You know what you're doing to the family? Then it's about you. There's no relationship. It's about you. The, the problem with relationship is that you always get in the way. In every relationship. We're in a marriage too. In a marriage too. Do you know that I stood in Bloomingdale's for five hours instead of going with my friends? So it's about me. But if I don't exist, if I put myself out of the, out of the parasha, it's only about her, she had a good time those five hours. Yeah, you're right, she didn't buy anything. But if, I, if she's smiling, she had a good time, who cares? And if I go to a hockey game and I enjoy that hockey game, even though she thinks it's disgusting, but if she's not thinking about it, it's disgusting because it's disgusting to her. So if she thinks it's disgusting, she's looking at what's, what it means to her instead of what it looks to me. I'm having a good time. So who cares if it's disgusting to you? Not I'm thinking. She has to think. Who cares if it's disgusting to me? My husband, for the, he's finally sitting there and he's smiling and he's getting a break and he loves hockey. So I took him to a hockey game. Not only, not only I don't like hockey, I'll go with him, I'll buy him the ticket. I'll be the one to buy the ticket to go with him because it makes him happy. And there's no me. It's all about him. So if it's something that makes him happy and there is no me, no problem. What a relationship. What an amazing relationship. In children and husband and wife, in friends, in work, in everything. To get, to show love, you have to sacrifice. What do you have to sacrifice? Yourself. And if each one, the husband and wife, sacrificed themselves, what a marriage. 
What a zivug. What an amazing zivug. I know, I know marriages like that. I know relationships like that. There's a famous story with Rabbi Levine, where he came in and his wife had, had broken her toe, and he came into the doctor, and he said to the doctor, our toe is hurting us very much. It was an hour, the two of them together. Because each one was mavato themselves, so they became an hour, not her toe. Her toe means it's her, not me. She said, our toe, because each one in that relationship were mavato themselves. That's a relationship. That's an ahava. Now, why, why do we have relationships altogether? Animals don't have relationships. Not to have children. Animals have children. The reason we have relationships is to be able to understand the relationship and then give it to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So now let me explain to you how Avraham Avinu was able to shecht his own child. We know that, you know, Rachim of Abunim. How did he shecht his own child? Bottom line, Avraham was great. Avraham, it's his kid. How do you shecht your own kid? Why did he shecht himself? By the way, is it crazy chidah that Abraham Avinu tried to shecht himself? There was an argument that Yitzchak kept saying, Hashem said, no, me. And Abraham said, no, maybe I, no, maybe I misunderstood it. No, me. And that he really wanted to shecht himself, Abraham. Not Yitzchak. Whatever, it's a chidah. It's a very interesting chidah. It's not for tonight. So how do you get to that, to that level? So let me tell you. And that's why I told you the whole story with the shop and with everything else. Because Lamai said, it doesn't bother you. If there's no you, let her shop for 10 hours. It's not about me. If that's what makes her happy, so that's what makes me happy. Because what makes her happy makes me happy, unless I'm in the way. And I, boys, especially by men, I, me, I, most of the time gets in the way of our relationships. <laughs> Your wife tells you she's not feeling well, automatically you're feeling worse. We're all like that. We're all like that. Your wife tells you, listen, I have a very bad headache. Oh, I didn't want to tell you. My back... My back is killing me. We always have to have an answer. If they don't feel well, then we also don't feel well. If they're upset, I'm more upset. Because I, I, me, me, it's a man. I, I, ish, ish, it's me. I'm in the way. I'm always in the way. Anytime someone has a complaint, I'm doing worse than you. Shut up! Remove yourself. Get out of here. She has a headache. What, what about you? You didn't have a backache because she had a headache. Yeah, yeah. Women have 103 temperature. Hundred three, they're diapering, they're cooking, they're taking the kids to school. Man has a hundred point one, not a hundred and one, a hundred point one. That's it. He's in bed for the week. <laughs> Darling, I'm burning up. Chaim, you're burning up. How bad? I'll call the doctor. Hold on, let me take my temperature. Oh my goodness, what? Ninety nine point nine. She's like, I walk around my whole life with ninety nine point nine. Because we're so into ourselves that if we don't feel good, the whole world has to know. We don't feel, the whole world has to know we don't feel good. Women are not like that. They're more mavato the eye than we are. They're not mavato totally. They're definitely more mavato the eye than we are because they have kids. They have to be more mavato the eye. We're, well, guys, we need to, you know, it's all about us. So, this week's Pasha. How did Avramavinu get to this level? To sacrifice his own son. When Hashem appeared to Abraham Avinu in Alone Mamre, Abraham Avinu was sick. It was the third day of his bris milah. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, hey, Abraham Avinu was pretty big. There's a knock on the door. Who is it? 
Bicker Cholem. Oh, Bicker Cholem's here. Opens the door, figures, you know, Bicker Cholem showed up. Kodesh Baruch was there. God came himself to be Mavaka Cholem of Ramavinu. Okay. Pretty hard to be Mavato yourself when the guest in your house is God. It's a little bit hard. Okay? But you say enough. Three people. He's busy. He's sitting with God. And three Arabs show up. Now, these weren't the fancy, rich, wealthy Saudi Arabia sheiks. Says Chazal. One was a camel driver. One was a sailor. One was a merchant. Coming out of a hot desert. Smelly, stinky, filthy, Arabs show up at Avram Avinu's house, thirsty and hungry. Right? Avram Avinu should have said, okay, wait outside till I finish talking to God, and then maybe I'll come talk to you. What do you do? Nairidik. Vayar, he saw them. Vayarach, the Kwasam, he ran to them. He left Hashem in the OL. He said, Hashem, I got a mitzvah to do. Very nice. Thank you for Bikr Chalim. See you later. I got some people that need to eat. Hashem said, go. Bikr Chalim comes before the Shekhinah. Pretty big, right? So what does he do? He's running, right? He couldn't do that sitting down. That would look funny. You hear? Three Arabs. Not three rabbis. Not three gedolim. Not three tzaddikim. Three filthy, smelly, stinky Arabs. Right? Standing there at his door. What does he do? Shalom Aleichem. He bows to them. Avram Avinu. Goyim. The richest person in the world. The most famous person in the world. He bows to these three Arabs. Wait, we're not done. But Yomer, he says, Adonai, my masters. Your masters? A camel driver from the desert? Is Avram Avinu's master? Adonai, my master. If I find favor in your eyes, please don't pass my house and go somewhere else. Come into me. What did Avraham Avinu do here? Avraham Avinu was totally mavatel himself. He was mavatel who he was. He was mavatel everything. He bowed down to them. He bowed down to these Arabs and he said to them, my masters, that means you're out of the picture. If I call you my master, then I'm nobody. I'm your slave. I'm your servant. I'm gone. Me, the I, the me, the I, the I, the me, the me, right? The me, who I am. You know who I am? I'm nothing. I'm your servant, he said. I'm your servant. Not only that, what does he say? If I find favor, not if you find favor, you're coming to me. I'm doing you a favor. You gotta find favor in my eyes. No. Abraham said, if I find favor in your eyes, please, please, I'm begging you, come to my house and don't pass my house. Mamish made himself into nothing. I don't know, girls have this fear of me. No, Rabbi Wallstein, they think I'm who knows what. I'm a regular guy. They didn't see last week's share. They don't know how regular, right? We got rid of that shit. I don't know how well. I'm a regular guy. I don't even know who Cindy Crawford is, right? So like, I'm like, I'm not even a regular guy, right? I'm a nobody. But they're very scared of me. So like, a few weeks ago, I spoke in, in Queens. So when I got finished, this little group of like three, four teenage high school girls, they walk up to me and they're like, Rabbi Wallerstein? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Could we ask you something? And they start to like back, back, like, 
Can we ask, like, like who knows what, like, they're backing off, right? Can we ask you something? It may be very chutzpedic. I'm like, okay. Maybe, could be, sort of, maybe. Could we ask you something? I'm like, ask! Oh, you know? Maybe, sort of, could have, maybe, Rabbi, um, do, do maybe sort of girls ever, um, I'm like, no, what, what? Ever, like, come to your house for, like, Shabbos or a meal? <gasps> I'm like, hello, I'm human, like, what? It's like, would it be a chutzpah if, if we ask you that maybe if sort of, kind of, maybe Rabbi Wallerstein Shlita, maybe Hagoyin Harabat Tzadik Hagadol, maybe, like, around Hanukkah time, Maybe we could come, mate. We don't have to come for Shabbos. We don't have to really come for Shabbos. But maybe we could come like Friday night, maybe for a meal. Do you let people come to your house for a meal? Maybe. Oh I'm like, calm down, girls. You can come to our Shabbos. Just have to call my wife anytime you want. Calm down. We're humans, right? And they were like, so like, oh. Like, whoa, wow, right? Now, imagine if I was at Ramavino. If I was at Ramavino, it will be the other way around. I'm giving a shear in Queens. There's a bunch of girls. And when I finish the shear, the three girls that are sitting in the front, I would go to them and say, Hi, how are you, my masters? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I find favor in your eyes and you have Rachmanis on me <laughs> and you want to do me a favor... Maybe Fsher could be. Maybe would you come to my house? Maybe on a Shabbos for a meal, please, please come to my house. You'd say, "Well, Walter, what, what you freak out of your brains? What are you doing? Right? You got to go beg them to do you a favor to come to your house. You're Wallerstein. They're the biggest favor in the world. If you let them come to your house, but the answer is." That if I'm not, if, if I'm able to be mavatal who I am and what I am and I'm a nobody. So these three girls coming to a meal for me for Shabbos is the greatest chesed. Not for them. For me. Because I was mavatal who I am. I'm a nobody. So having three girls come and have a Shabbos and keep mitzvahs and do good things. I'm not doing them a favor. They're doing me a favor. Whoa, what a different outlook in chesed. When you go to the hospital to visit someone and you're, and you're a nobody and that person is doing you a favor, letting you come into the room and change their diaper. That adult that's in the nursing home is letting you come into the room to change their diaper instead of, I can't believe I'm doing this. Both times you change the diaper, but when you mavatl yourself, there's no me. So, oh my goodness, if there's no me, the mitzvah that I'm getting here, this person's letting me do the mitzvah by changing their diaper. Who cares if it smells? The more it smells, the bigger the mitzvah. But if I'm in the way, it's like, Rabbi, I can't do this. I can't do this. You're right. I can't do this. If there's no I, you could do it. But as long as I is there, you can't do it. So the beginning of this week's Pasha, Pasha's Vayera, Avram teaches us what true love is. Self-sacrifice. Loving to do a mitzvah of chesed means that a bunch of smelly, stinky, filthy Arabs are my master. Do you know why they're my master? You know why I'm bowing down to them? You know why I'm begging them to come to my house? 
Because through them I'm doing chesed. So who's doing all a favor here? These three smelly Arabs doing me a favor. Such a favor that I'm going to leave Hashem in the tent and run to them. That's how big a favor they're doing for me. If you are able in your life to take the eye out, your whole life is different. That's the beginning of the parsha, And the Torah teaches us that if you're able to do that in the beginning of the parsha, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful share of the share. If you're able to do it in the beginning of the parsha, be mavzvatal yourself, get your, the eye out of the way in order to help people, by the end of the parsha, by the end of your life, you're going to be able to be mavzvatal yourself for God. So since he was able to be mavzvatal himself here, at the end of the parsha, he wasn't anymore Yitzchak's father that has to have pity on Yitzchak. That's not what happened over here. He was misvatal himself as Yitzchak's father because Hashem asked me to do this. I am misvatal the eye. If there's no eye, there's no problem. Shechting Yitzchak. He's just a carbon. He's just putting a cow on the mizbeach. The whole reason he's not a cow is because he's a human and he's my son and I have a relationship with him and how can I kill him? But once I have the ability to get me out of the way and I'm out of the way, I'm out of the way, all I have to do is Shek my son, because that's what a Kosh Baruch told me to do. So that's how he went from the beginning. That's how he went to the end. There was no way for him to do Akedis Yitzchak without Mevatel himself totally in the beginning. There was no way to do it. And therefore, all of us that are here tonight, our job in life is to be, to get the eye, it's very hard, is to get the eye out of the way. We have to get ourselves out of the way. Marriages, if you would step out, and get yourself out of the way, every marriage will be fantastic. Every relationship to your parents. I don't like what my parents said. I don't like the way my parents treat me. But if you're a to yourself, and, and yes, your mother wants you home at 11 o'clock. I don't want to come home at 11 o'clock. But if it makes your mother happy that at 11 o'clock you're home, and there's no I, then it's just your mother. Then of course you'll be home at 11 o'clock. Once you mavatal the eye, it's so easy to do anything that anyone needs that, 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 that can't, you can't be abused. But something that someone needs. So your mother's screaming, your father's screaming, I don't like that little yarmulke that you're wearing. I want you to buy a velvet big yarmulke. Now, if I is in the way, I don't like velvet yarmulkes. I don't want to listen to my parents. But if you pull the eye out of the way and you're looking at your father, it's because you're not there and you're like, to make my father happy, big deal to put on a velvet. I'm just giving you an example. Put on a velvet yarmulke. Because I'm looking at him. I'm out of the way. When you pull yourself out of the way, all of a sudden you see other people. You are in the way of yourself. Somebody asked me, like, you know, why do you do the things you do? And I'm like, we are talking about? I see this kid suffering and that kid suffering. He's like, where do you see all these kids suffering? The answer is, I try to get out of my way. And once I get out of my way, I see what everybody else needs. If you're, if you're in your own way, all you see is what you need. I need this, I need this, I need this. Any sentence that starts with the word I is no good. <coughs> Any sentence that starts with the word I need this, I like this, I want this. Anything that starts with the word I, yalla. It's in the way. The word I is in the way. I always say, there's no I in us, just you. That's a very true saying. There is no I in us, just you. Now, what's the ultimate relationship with HaKash Baruch Hu? 
So every day we all daven. Baruch Hashem, half of you I see in Landau's. Right? Shachrus, Minchamayri, everybody davens. What's davening? Davening is a relationship. But our davening is one way. Right? Give me wisdom, forgive me, heal me. It's a shopping list. You go to Hashem every day with your shopping list. The longer you stand, Shemona Esrei, the longer your shopping list. You have 900 guys on your list that need a refuel Shalema. So what do you do? You daven to Hashem. I need a shidduch. I need parnasa. I need brains. I need my parents to leave me alone. I need this. I need that. I need this. That's a relationship. That's a one-way relationship. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. So I asked today and I asked yesterday when I taught, I said, and I'd like to know how many people, how many people wake up or anytime during davening, turn to Hashem and say, what do you need? How many guys in this room? Get up in the morning and say, what do you need? Oh, what do you mean? Hashem doesn't need anything. Okay, so then what are you doing any, what are you doing anything for? What are you doing mitzvahs for? He don't need your mitzvahs. He needs your tilling, your mitzvahs, what do you need? You're, we're worms, we're dust, we're garbage, we're nothing, we're maggots. Hashem doesn't need anything from us. So what do you do mitzvahs for? If Hashem doesn't need anything, so then, what do you do? So, so, that's the excuse. What do you mean I should offer Hashem what do you need? He doesn't need anything. You're right, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need your tefillin, he doesn't need your tzitzis, he doesn't need your, your bracha on an apple. Baruch Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, Baruch What does that do for Hashem? Blessed you Hashem, you're a worm. It's like your goldfish, right? Giving you a blessing from the goldfish tube in the, in, in the bowl in the morning. I hope you have a good day. Hope you make a lot of money. You're a goldfish. Shut up. You got a bracha from a goldfish? I had a parrot. I had a parrot. I used to have a parrot, right? Someone taught it to say, you're beautiful. You went up to the parrot. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You think I felt beautiful? It's a parrot. It has no brains. It understands what I am. What's beautiful? So the next day I went to see. Maybe the parrot does. Maybe it's not the parrot. Maybe it's a nice sniffler. Maybe the parrot really thinks I'm beautiful. Okay. So the next day I came. I put ketchup all over my face. I put my hair in a very, very silly looking way. I walked up to the parrot. I'm like, so what do you think now? You're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. I'm like, okay, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's a parrot, it has no brains, right? It just learns how to say you're beautiful. What do you think, what do you, what do you think we say when we make a bracha? We understand Baruch to Hashem. We can give Hashem a bracha. We're a little parrot. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, all day. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. Right? We understand Baruch Atah Hashem from us? Why does God want us to make a bracha on an apple? Beautiful answer. He doesn't need our bracha. We have, no, we, have a, we have less understanding of what Hashem is than that parent has a beauty. It has no understanding of beauty. It just says it because that's what it was taught to say. Most of us, that's what we do all day. Baruch at, if we say, if we're a parent, if we say Baruch Atah Hashem. So what does Hashem need my bracha on an apple for? Or Ashayatsu, when I come out of the bathroom, you need to cover them to cover them. Like, I understand how the body works. So, what are all these brachas? What does Hashem need for? He needs you to learn Torah? 
So why, why, do, why, do, why do we have 613 mitzvahs? Why? And the answer is that he wants to have, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to have a relationship with us. And a one-way relationship is not a relationship. So if all day long, all Hashem would do is give, 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 and we wouldn't say Baruch to Hashem on an apple, there'd be no relationship. It'd be like a sugar daddy. It would be one way, just giving and giving and giving and giving. That's not a relationship. Hashem wants a relationship. So even though, even though he doesn't need it, he wants us to say Baruch to Hashem, Baruch to Hashem, Baruch to Hashem, because that creates a relationship. We are giving, we're not giving back. We're, we're giving to Hashem whatever we can. That's all we can. We're, we're a goldfish. We're, we're a pat. We don't have more than that. But that causes a relationship between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Sure, He could give us everything and not need any brachas. That's the relationship between the two of us. That's the beauty of davening, of tefillah. Tefillah causes the relationship. But, what gets in the way of that relationship? The I, 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 I. I need this, I need this, I need this. And Hashem, if you do this, then I'll give money for this. And if you give, we got all these deals going with Akash Baruch Hu. But, but that's not, that's not what it's about. It's not about making deals. That's not what the relationship is. To be misvatel yourself, like Avraham Avinu was misvatel himself, totally stepped out. When he stepped out, and it was all about Akash Baruch Hu, because that's the relationship, the ultimate love, the ultimate love was, I don't exist. And if I don't exist, Yitzhak's not my son. Yitzhak's like, an aisle, it's like a cow, it's like a behemoth. There's no difference. Sorry. Okay, so I'll listen to this. Now you would think, you would think, and, and, and many of you have heard this already, you would think, okay, you know it sounds very nice to love somebody, it's a sacrifice, but you know when you sacrifice, you lose a lot. If I sacrifice, you know, I'm going to go to, bottom line is I went to Bloomingdale's and I wasted five hours. I sacrificed five hours of my time for her. So when you sacrifice something for someone, that means, sacrifice means that, that I'm losing something. Wrong. You're not losing anything. This week's Pasha. The ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice was what? Was like, hey, this gets like, so very, very fast. And then I want to learn a Gemara with you for two minutes. And that, the Gemara wraps up everything I said tonight. So the ultimate sacrifice was Yitzchak. Now, the Medrash says that when Yitzchak and Abram were going to Haram Maria, right? So an old man showed up. We all know this medrash. And the old man showed up and he walked over to Abraham Avinu and said, Abraham, you're making a big mistake. It can't be that God told you to sacrifice your son. Because in the Brisbane Absarim, right? We know in the Brisbane Absarim, Hashem said, you're going to have a son, Yitzchak, and from him is going to come like the stars, like the sand. So if you're going to kill this boy, then the promise that you got isn't true. So the, so it's, so it's a contradiction. If you're gonna tell me you believe in God, and you're gonna tell me that God came to you in the Brisbane of Sarim, and that God told you that from your son Yitzhak is gonna come a whole, a whole nation. Now, if you tell me the same God said you should shecht him, it can't be. It can't be. Cause God is lying. If he's telling you one way, it's gonna come from Yitzhak. Then he tells you to kill Yitzhak. Either it's two gods. Either it's two gods to the old man, and then you can listen to any god you want. You don't have to listen to the god that said kill him. You can listen to the god that said don't kill him. Or that one god that you think doesn't exist because he's contradicting himself. So Abraham Avinu says in the Medrash, Abraham Avinu turned to the old man and said, I know who you are. You're not an old man. You're the Satan. You're wasting your time. 
Hashem told me to kill Yitzchak. He did promise me it's going to come from Yitzchak. I don't understand. I don't know. This is what Hashem said. This is what I'm going to do. So the Sultan had said he, he made an ocean and he made a river and he tried all kinds of things. Nothing stopped him. So he went to Yitzchak Avinu. And he came to Yitzchak Avinu and he told Yitzchak Avinu, your father is a lunatic. He had a bad dream. Something went wrong with him. This is the father. God said that you're going to, have, you're going to from you are going to come a whole nation. And now your father wakes up one morning and he hears voices in his head. To shecht you and you believe this? He's hallucinating. Maybe the mushroom is in, in his salad where I don't know what. He's got all kinds of crazy dreams. It can't be true. And it says that Yitzchak for a moment said to the old man, you know what, maybe you're right, maybe I shouldn't go. And then Avraham Avinu turned around and said, Yitzchak, it's not an old man, it's the Satan. The bottom line is that you know this from an old shir that I gave, that, that it brings down that Avraham shechted Yitzchak. Actually Shechted him. When you shecht an animal, you shecht two pipes, the wind pipe and the food pipe. So it says that Avram actually shechted him. How do you know that? So when he shechted the food pipe, he was bleeding, he was dying. So it says that the Malachim came, took him, took Yitzchak, and brought him to Ganeiden. And in Ganeiden, they healed him. They healed him. Because in this world, you can't live with one of those pipes cut, you're dead. They took him to Ganeiden and they healed him. Now, how do we know this? So, if you look in the Akedas Yitzchak, so it says, Don't shecht him, don't hurt him. Avram lifted up his eyes. And he saw, there was a ram, right? And he took it, and he brought it up as a carbon. And then, it says, that the Malach told him, you're going to be gebenched. And Avraham went back to Eliezer and, and Yishmael. And they went to Beersheba. Where's Yitzchak? He was on the mountain with Avraham. Where'd he go? The Pasuk says, Avraham. Avraham came down the mountain. Where was Yitzchak? So the Zayar says, Yitzchak was in Gan Eden. That's why he didn't come down the mountain. Pasuk. He didn't come down the mountain because he was in Ganeiden. Now, how do we know he was in Ganeiden? Later on, in Pasha's Toldos, when Yitzchak benched Yaakov instead of Esau, so we know that Rivka took Esau's clothing and put it on Yaakov so he should smell like Esau. And it says over there that that clothing was the clothing that Esau killed Nimrod. That's when he was running, and he, he wanted to get the lentil beans. He wanted, he gave up the, the Bechara for the lentil beans. It says he was running, he was running because he killed Nimrod. Nimrod got that clothing from Adam. That clothing was the clothing that Hashem made by Yasalem Kostos Ar. Hashem made Adam special clothing because now that he threw him out of Ganei then, he had to hunt animals, and animals could smell the human, they would run away. So Hashem gave him clothing that, 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 that you could, that, that, that the animals could not smell that the human being was in that clothing. That, that way, Nimrod was able to go up to a deer without the deer knowing it and kill him. He was the best hunter, Nimrod. And then who came, the, who after that became the best hunter? Hideyat Sayyid was Esav, because Esav killed Nimrod and took that clothing. Now that clothing was made in Ganeiden for Adam. So it says that when, when, when Yitzchak benched Yaakov, he smelled the clothing that Yaakov was wearing, and he said, I smell the clothing of Ganeiden on you. How did Yitzchak know what Ganeiden smelled like? 
How did he know? He said, your clothing smells like it's from Gan Eden. If you were never in Gan Eden, how would you know what the clothing smells like? So it's Rav Chaim Bital, that's a raya, that Yitzhak was in Gan Eden. So he was in Gan Eden for three years. Now I want to read you something amazing. Doshu Chazal. He says the following. Yitzchak Noiled Misitra Denukfa. Yitzchak was born Alpizayar. Yitzchak was born with a female Nikeva Neshama. Now, it doesn't mean he was gay. No, no, that's not what it means. It's Nikeva Neshama is Din. A Zachar Neshama is Rachamim, even though you think it's the opposite, it's not. So now, he was born with a Nikeva Neshama, which meant, which meant, that a man who has a Nekev and Neshama cannot have children. Cannot have children if you have a Nekev and Neshama. So, Yitzchak Noilad Nisitra Denukfa. He was born with a Nekev and Neshama. L'chein lo hayoloi bazug. Therefore, he didn't have a female, uh, he didn't have a bazug, he didn't have someone to marry. Amru Chazal, and Chazal say in Pirkei Derebeli, as a Peraglamet Aleph, Bahara Moria, Bizmana Kedas Yitzchak, when Avram shechted that one pipe, what happened? So his neshama went out. His female neshama went out. When they brought him back to life, a new neshama came. And that neshama was a male neshama. That Sarah had a child, which is a, which is Sarah means to Sarah was the child, which means he was nekeva. Now it says that afterwards Avram said, I want, a, I want a woman for the son of my master, Eliezer. Eliezer went to get a woman. She said, I, want, I don't want a son for the, for the, I don't want a shidduch for the son of my, of Sarah. I want a son of Sarah of, of Adonecha, which means a male neshama. So the Sefer Lukutim brings down that after the new neshama that came into Yitzchak was an, uh, a dochra, a, a zochra, a male. And therefore, when he came out of Gan Eden, where we see, when he met Rivka, it says, Vatelach Ratzuach Basadeh. Basadeh, everyone knows in Kabbalah that anytime it says in the Torah Basadeh, Basadeh means Gan Eden. So it means that when, when he came out of Gan Eden, who did he meet? He met Rivka. How old was Rivka? Three years old. Where did she get her neshama from? So he says, Isaiah says, that when the neshama left Yitzchak on the Akedah, it went into Rivka. So Rivka had his female neshama, and Yitzchak got a new male neshama. Now, now let's look at this, let's look at the story. So the Satan came, it's so nevidic, such fire. The Satan came, and he told Avram and Yitzchak, it can't be the same God, because God told you by the Brisbane of Sarim, that from your son Yitzchak is going to come to Israel. Now the same God said, kill him. Can't be, can't be the same God. It's either two gods, or no God. But what the Satan forgot to tell him, was that the only way, that what Hashem said, by the Brisbane of Sarim, that from, that from Yitzchak is going to come out Yisrael, the only way for that to happen was to get rid of the female neshama, and the only way to get rid of the female neshama was to do an Akedas Yitzchak. 
So, what Hashem, who first said that from you is going to come the Jewish nation, now Hashem said it has to be an Akedah. So to us it looks like, that's impossible. How can you say both? And the answer is no. Because Baruch Hu knew that if he would just leave Yitzchak alone, he would never have children. And there would be no Klai Yisrael. The only way to have children is to, is to bring him to Akedah Yitzchak so he could get rid of his female neshama. So the Sultan came with a whole taina, knowing the whole time that the whole thing was false. That if he could stop the Akedah, and that Yitzchak shouldn't be shechted, there would never be a Klai Yisrael. So we see from here, everybody, that when you, when you sacrifice, when Avram Avinu was willing to sacrifice because he got himself out of the way, good things happen. When you take the eye, when you take yourself out of the way, that's how Klai Yisrael existed. Had Avram Avinu not been able, not taken himself out of the way, he would have said to Hashem, it's my son, I can't shecht him. And it wouldn't have happened, and he wouldn't have shechted him, and Yisrael would have never had children, and that would have been the end of it. So you think when you're nice to your wife, and you go for five hours, and you give up your day. Ooh, look what I did, Rabbi. I'm such a great guy. I sacrificed myself for her. I sacrificed myself. Just the opposite. The best thing you ever did is to make her happy. Because a good, happy wife is a good, happy wife, says the Gemara. And a miserable wife is a miserable wife, says the Gemara. So by making your wife happy, who are you helping? Yourself. By removing yourself... You're doing the best thing for yourself that's possible. It sounds like that doesn't make any sense in this world. If I'm removing myself, how am I helping myself? Absolutely. By removing yourself, you're helping yourself the most. I want to read you Gemara. That's absolutely amazing. You know my story about the guys in Alaska. It's my famous story about the two guys in Alaska where one of them, they were, they were stuck and they were freezing to death. Their car was broken and one of them was falling asleep. And you know, that's what happens when you get, when you freeze, you fall asleep and then you die. You don't wake up. And he was frostbitten. And his friend kept waking him up and saying, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep, you're dying. And he would sit there and for an hour and a half, he would rub his ankles and over the blood and he would rub his wrist. And this guy was sitting in this 10, 15, 40 degrees below zero and he kept screaming at his friend, stay awake, stay awake, don't fall asleep. You fall asleep, you're going to die. And he's rubbing him and he's rubbing him and he's trying to get that guy's blood. And finally, the troopers show up, whatever showed up, and they bring him to the hospital. And the guy that was working on his friend, he's fine. But his friend was frostbitten. They bring him in. And after two hours, he comes out of the emergency room. The guy's waiting there. And he says, the doctor says, it's a miracle. It's unbelievable. Your friend made it. We had to amputate part of his leg. But otherwise, he's perfect. The guy's like, so, you're going to put up a medal about me? I mean, I saved him. <coughs> I worked on him for an hour and a half. If I wouldn't have worked on him for an hour and a half, he would have been dead. I think the hospital should put up a medal. And the doctor says, you didn't save your friend. Your, fr- your friend saved you. If you wouldn't have worked on him for that hour and a half, you both would have been dead. Because you worked so hard on him, you didn't even lose a toe. You didn't even get frostbitten. He saved you. You saved him, but he lost his leg. He saved you. And you lost nothing. Who's doing who a favor when you help somebody else? Who's doing who a favor when you make somebody else happy, guys? You're doing yourself a much bigger favor than you're doing for the other person. I want to read you Gemara. Fantastic Gemara. We'll end with this. It's not a long Gemara. Gemara Menachis. 
Gemara Menachas Daf Chavtes and a Gemara in Shabbos. I think it's Daf Memtes. Listen carefully. Gemara in Shabbos. Omar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says the following. When Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shemayim to get the Torah, he came to Hashem, whatever this means, and he saw that Hashem, that God was sitting there. What was God doing? He was writing in a Sefer Torah the crowns on certain letters in the Sefer Torah, Shin Ayin Tes Nun Zayin, Shatnes, those letters, and Nun Tzadik, there are what's called tagum. There, there's there's taga. There's like crowns, three little things or two little things, right? That are crowns. So when he came up to Shemayim, he saw Hashem sitting there, whatever this means, with a sefer Torah. Hashem's making the crowns on top of the letters. So Moshe Rabbeinu walked into Hashem's room. He was like in awe. He didn't say nothing. Hashem said to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe. In Shalom in your town, when you walk into a room, you don't say Shalom Aleichem? Hashem's like, you walk into my room and you just stand there like a dope? Say something. Say Shalom Aleichem. You hear? You gotta be a mensch. Even when you walk into Akash Baruchu, you have to say Shalom Aleichem. Amar Lefanov, Moshe Rabbeinu said back to Hashem, Klum Yesh Eved Shinais in Shalom Rabbi. Is there any servant that has the chutzpah to greet his master? A servant doesn't say Shalom Aleichem to his master. If the master says Shalom Aleichem to the servant, he says Aleichem Shalom. But you don't open your mouth when you walk into the master. Okay? That's a discussion between Moshe Rabbeinu and Hashem. Oh my lie! Hashem says, good excuse. You got this good. You answered good. God's, God's fine. You answered good. You're right. But, says Hashem, so you can't say Shalom Aleichem. But if you're a servant, beautiful, no, you did a Gemara. If you're going to tell me that the reason you didn't say Shalom Aleichem is because in front of me you feel like a servant. But a servant does say something when it walks into the master. Hashem said, you should have said, You should have at least offered me some help. When a servant walks into the room of the master, he says to the master, Master, is there anything I can do for you? So Hashem said, if you're going to use the excuse, that I'm the master and you're the servant. Very nice. So then how come you didn't say, Hashem, can I help you? Miyad Omaloi. Moshe didn't answer. I would have answered and said, help you? You need my help? He didn't answer that. Miyad Omaloi. Right away, Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, and now, may the strength of Hashem be magnified as you have spoken. He gave Hashem a bracha. Hashem should have strength. What is going on in this Gemara? They're playing a game? Hashem's playing a game? Should have said Shalom Aleichem. Couldn't. I'm your servant. Oh, you're my servant? Why don't you offer me help? You should be helped, Hashem. Hashem, you should be good. You should have strength. You could say Hashem should give you strength because that's Hashem. He's talking to Hashem. What's going on over here? You can offer Hashem help? Okay. That's that Gemara. You already know the answer because of my shirt tonight. What Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu is that if you walk into if you walk into my room, if you're davening to me, 
Right? There has to be a give and a take. I understand you're in awe. And you're like, I can help you, Hashem. You have to offer me the help, even though I don't need your help. Because that's the relationship. That's the relationship. And by the way, Hashem has all this good. He wants you to, you, you have the key to all that good. The key to all that good is to help Hashem give it to you. How do you help Hashem give it to you? By davening to Him. By having that relationship. Because that's a relationship, that's a give and take. So over here, Akash Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, I don't need your help, but you need to offer your help. Because that's the relationship, that's what you're giving back. You've got to give back something. Even though the person doesn't need it, to have the relationship, you have to give back something. So Hashem says, yes, I don't need it, but I want it, because that's going to make us too closer. Because the truth is, to take, 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 drives a person away. A person wants to give, we always want to give. So Hashem makes, us, makes believe like He needs us. Right? To daven and to learn and to do all these mitzvahs. But he, he doesn't make believe. He does it because he wants us to be close to him. Now I want to read you same Gemara, a little bit more explained. Gemara Menachas, as you can see in Taisvis, he shows you the crowns on top of the letters. That's what they look like. And then that's the end of the share. So let me just read it to you. Says the Gemara like this. Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Rav, when Moshe came to the heavens, he met Hashem, Hashem was writing crowns on the letters. He said, after the universe, who is holding you back from giving the Torah? Why, why, why are you doing this crown thing? Why don't you just give me the Torah? What, what, what's, what, why do you need to do crowns? He was asking Hashem, why do you have to do crowns on top of the letters? Just give me the Torah. There is one man that's holding me back. He is destined to exist at the end of many generations. The Akiva ben Yosef Shemo, and his name is Rabbi Akiva. The Valchuv at forty years old. Hashem said, "That's who's holding back the Torah, and that's why I'm doing these little crowns on the letters." Why? So Hashem said, "Shakiva ben Yosef, because Rabbi Akiva is going to translate and expound and write Divrei Torah on every crown of every letter. So I need to make these crowns because when Rabbi Akiva comes, he's going to learn a different shot on every single crown. Wow. Tillin, tillin, shal halachas. Heaps and heaps of halachas. He's going to learn on every crown. Amal Afanov, said, there's going to be someone that great in the generations to come. Har-Ehuli, I want to see him. In a world of no time, even though Rabbi Akiva was way after Moshe Rabbeinu, in a world of no time, Hashem could put him in Rabbi Akiva's class. Even though it didn't happen yet. Because it happened. From my share five weeks ago. It all happened at one moment. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, I want to see who this rabbi is that's going to translate the crowns on all the letters. Okay? Show them to me. Amalo, Hashem said, Turn around. Turn around and see what's behind you. He saw, he was in a class. He turned around. He was in Rabbi Akiva's class. But Rabbi Akiva's class never happened yet. It was Moshe Rabbeinu's time. It all happened already, boys. It all happened. Everything happened already. In a, in a world of no time. It all happened. You're in the shir happened. Everything happened. And it's going to happen. It all happened already. So now Moshe Rabbeinu is sitting in the back 
or Rabbi Akiva's class. It's Gemara. Moshe Rabbeinu was in Rabbi Akiva's class and didn't understand one word that Rabbi Akiva was saying. He became disheartened. He doesn't, Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't understand what Rabbi Akiva shir. In the middle of Rabbi Akiva's shir, he came to a point, his students asked Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi, how do you know what you're saying is true? He said to them, What I'm saying is, Now Moshe Rabbeinu felt good. According to him, he felt better. Chazar, Moshe went back, when came in front of Kodesh Baruch Hu, Amal Lefana, Rebani Shalom. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Rebani Shalom, God, Yeshecha Adam Kizer, you have such a great person like this, and you're giving the Torah through me? Give it through Rabbi Akiva! In a world of no time, he can still give the Torah through Rabbi Akiva, even though Rabbi Akiva wasn't born yet. Amalai, Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Shetaik! Quiet. This is what I decided to do. Don't ask no questions. Amalafanov. So Moshe said to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, "Ribanu Shloi Lamashem, Hirisani Teirasa. You have shown me, you have shown me his Torah. Hareini Scharay. Now show me his reward." I want to see Rabbi Akiva's reward for all the Torah that he taught. Hashem said, turn around again and see what's behind you. Hashem turned around. We all know that they took Rabbi Akiva and they raked him with rakes with Nasari Ruge Malchus. And then they took his meat. His, his, the meat off his bones, and they cut it into pieces, and they weighed it, and they sold it in the meat market. Rabbi Akiva's body. So Moshe Rabbeinu thought he's going to see a big reward for this big tzaddik. So he said, let me see. He showed that people were weighing the flesh of Rabbi Akiva's body in the butcher's meat market to sell it. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Hashem, this is the Torah, this is the reward you give to a person like this, who, who translates the crowns into thousands of different translations. Amalai, Hashem said to him, Shtaik, quiet. This is part of my greater plan, to which you have no, it's none of your business. This is an amazing, amazing Gemara. So first of all, on how come Hashem didn't understand what Rabbi Akiva was talking about. So the Mepharshim say that Moshe Rabbeinu understood the Torah through Nevius, through Kedusha. Rabbi Akiva, our day, we understand the Gemara through explaining. Explanation, logic, English translation, explanation. So Rabbi Akiva was teaching the Torah and he was doing it through human logic. Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah was on a much higher level. Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah was straight from Shemayim. It was, there was no human logic in it. It was purely from Shemayim. So he sat in a class where he didn't understand what they were talking about. Not because he was on a lower level, because he was on a higher level. Then, when Rabbi Akiva said, Halacha Moshe Misinai, that's on the higher level. In other words, all the Gemara that we learn is Halacha Moshe doesn't make, doesn't make sense. We don't know the reason. That's Halacha Moshe Misinai. So when he said Halacha Moshe Misinai, 
then Moshe Rabbeinu felt better. Why did he feel better? Because you think they mentioned his name? Oh, they mentioned my name in class. Now I feel good. He was a big shot. No. When he said, Halakhali Moshe Misinai, he understood that the Halakhali Moshe Misinai was on a level that these people don't understand. So therefore, my Torah from Sinai is not the same as theirs. It's on a much higher level. That's why I don't understand them. He said, okay, then fine. That's what Digmar is saying. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.